0: Welcome to our weekly catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now let's start the class learn the lessons. So this week we're looking at Lord's Day 15 question 37 asking what did the suffering and death of Christ achieve for us? It's our final look at least in this season at question 37 and it's such an important matter that I've spent quite a considerable time on it. For it relates to the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, who bore in his body and soul the very wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, so that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice he might... Now, that's where we are right now. He might what? What is the result of Christ's suffering. What did it achieve, that death on the cross, that suffering under Pontius pilate That's what we're going to find out in this podcast. I'm Bob McAvoy and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. suffering and death of Christ had such a profound impact. It would be the most significant event in the whole of human history. I think of what I've just said. Try to think of all the great things, all the great inventions, all the great battles, the treaties, the important figures, the great world leaders. If you go into Google and search for the most important event in human history, You'll get various lists and opinions about what those events were. The discovery of fire, writing, the fall of the Roman Empire, the Renaissance, the invention of the printing press, the Industrial Revolution, the invention of flight, medical advances, the abolition of slavery, the Holocaust, it just goes on and on and on. I wonder, one day will someone look back on 2020 and rate it as a significant year in human history, when almost the whole world changed its behaviour to fight a virus. Yet what I am saying is that the death of Jesus that day at Calvary had far more of an impact than any other single event in the whole of human history. It made such an impact that its significance can never ever be overestimated. The death of the God-man, God in human flesh, crucified for our sins. It affected the whole of the created universe. You see, the fall of man had profound implications for the whole of creation. Think back to the Garden of Eden and think about the divine rebuke of Adam and Eve and the serpent after their willful act of disobedience and rebellion. And remember especially that the curse of sin fell not just upon Adam and Eve, but upon the very environment in which they lived. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17 to 18, we read, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb. Of the field. So because of the first Adam, paradise became a wasteland, fruitfulness became deficiency, prosperity became poverty, joyful labour became back-breaking graft, sin entered into the world and sin ruined everything. But it wasn't just the habitat of man that suffered at the fall, the whole of creation has been blighted with sin. Paul expresses this well in those interesting verses in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That's a picture of a world and a universe that is under the curse, that is in agony, that is waiting for its deliverance. What can we do? People are able to observe the groaning of the created world. I suppose it must be what motivates the eco lobby, the environmentalists to try and save the planet. They see the decline and the deterioration of the earth and they blame it on the human race and they see people as a plague, almost like a virus, preying upon the resources of the planet and they demand population control actually a euphemism for the culling of humanity as their final solution. That will be pointless. Greta Thunberg is not the saviour of the world, even if she's disillusioned enough to think that she and her political manipulators are actually able to save the earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Saviour. At the cross he paid the price for sin and he took upon himself sin's curse as we shall see in our next lesson or rather in the lesson after the next one and that includes all of sin's curse including even the curse of the earth. There's nothing we can do to save the planet. Certainly a cull of humanity won't help. It would be wickedness in the extreme. The Lord Jesus has already done the work for us. One day, when he returns to this earth, the created order will be remade. It will be recreated. It will be made to be finally what it was meant to be. Just as the Christian believers will be raised and given a new body, simultaneously there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now look, let's find some biblical proof for this. In Romans chapter 18 and verse 19, that passage that we've already referenced, it talks about the earnest expectation of the creature of creation waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, starting halfway through the verse, All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 12 and verse 14 in that same chapter, 2 Peter 3. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Revelation 20 and 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So a profound effect of the cross upon God's created universe. But let's go a little bit further. We're asking today what is what did the suffering and the death of Christ actually achieve? Well there's a kind of a God word effect of the cross. Pick up a good dictionary and look up the word propitiation or propitiation p-r-o-p-i-t-i-a-t-i-o-n Okay, so it's not a word we use every day, so we need to find out exactly what it means. And here's a definition from a general dictionary. It talks about the act of gaining or regaining the favour or goodwill of someone. The act of propitiating. Appeasement, if you like. A sacrifice in propitiation of God. Something that propitiates or appeases specifically or... atoning sacrifice. So when Jesus died on the cross there was an act of propitiation. Now God is rightly angry with our sin. We've rebelled against our Creator and willfully and deliberately broken his law, those rules that were given to us for the proper ordering of our lives. And in order that our lives would bring glory to God and we would enjoy eternal fellowship with him. Now because God is intrinsically just, he can't simply overlook our sin. He can't overlook our rebellion. And because he is holy, he can't allow anything that's unclean sinners like us into his presence. His justice demands that he must punish sin. God's righteous anger, God's wrath falls therefore upon every unrepentant sinner. Now that's where propitiation comes into the equation. So this word occurs just three times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, Paul talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. In 1 John 2 and verse 2, we read that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, in those verses, we learn that at the cross, Jesus fully satisfies God's demand for justice. Jesus appeases his wrath and therefore provides a way for reconciliation between God and us, God and human beings. At the cross, God's wrath was fully assuaged. Jesus willingly took upon himself all the terrible anger of God against our sins. Sin is punished. Justice is satisfied. God's wrath is turned aside. Again, we recall the words of the Catechist in question 37, who says, Our Lord Jesus Christ bore in his body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. God's wrath literally burned out on the cross when his only Son, Jesus, died as the propitiation for sin, the sin of mankind. And that's where God's love comes in. Here's a third of those three verses about propitiation. In 1 John 4 and verse 10, John writes here in his love, Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. I love the way the Amplified Bible expands this. To help us to understand, we use the Amplified just like a commentary. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that is, the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, thus fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath but there are more effects and more results of Christ's atoning death. And one of those is unfallen mankind. Let's remember that catechism answer, that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness and eternal life. Our catechist teaches us that Christ suffered to reveal the love of God to us. You see, at the cross, we see God's love being put into practice. As Paul wrote, God has demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered to redeem us. He bought us back. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay, the debt of sin that was owed to God. He paid my fine for my transgression of the law. He bought me back and redeemed me, both in body and in soul. Our Christian faith affects us inside and out. Because as the theologians like to say, orthodoxy issues an orthopraxy. In other words, our correct doctrine and belief will mould the way that we live our lives and it will demonstrate what Christ has done for us to others. So Jesus suffered to reveal the love of God to us, to redeem us and to obtain God's righteousness for us. First Peter 2 and 24 talks about Jesus, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Paul in Romans 5 and verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. There's another important, unfamiliar word we need to learn. It's the word expiation. e x p i a t i o n. It's just another way of interpreting the Greek word that we previously interpreted as propitiation. The prefix ax means out of or from. So expiation has to do with removing something or taking something away. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He took away my sins. He blotted them out. Here's the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 11 to 13. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And he did this by covering all our sins with his righteousness. The reformers called this the great exchange. At the cross, Jesus took our guilt and he gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sins are blotted out in the blood of Christ. Our sins are covered, they're atoned for, and we can come into the presence of God and we are accepted in the Beloved. Paul wrote in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some more texts to look up and to meditate upon. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. First Peter 1 and 2 Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. First John one and verse seventy and verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Romans chapter three and verse twenty five to twenty six. Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So Jesus died to reveal the love of God to us. He died to redeem us. He died to make us righteous in God's sight he died to change our spiritual nationality by his death he has achieved something wonderful colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 talks about christ who delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son by nature by birth we are the children of the devil And we live in the darkness of this world. We live in the devil's kingdom. Jesus said to the very religious Jews, Ye are of your father the devil. John 8 and 44. But because of the cross, we are taken out of that dreadful state. And we're given a new nationality. A new national allegiance. We are members of God's kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Paul writes, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What has the death of Christ achieved for us? Shown us that God loves us. Bought us back and redeemed us. Gave us the righteousness of Christ changed our spiritual nationality and brought us into God's kingdom. And then, of course, not to forget the ultimate benefit of Christ's death for sinners is to grant us the gift of eternal life. Let's think of that amazing verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him Should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's not the only benefit, but it's such an amazing benefit. We are Christ's. We are his children and we are his for all of eternity. We belong to him and we will dwell with him forever and he will never let us go. Christ died for sinners. We're the recipients of his honor and love, his unmerited favour, or as our instructor teaches us, recipients of his grace. Let's pause and let's worship him in the words of Psalm 103. is right and proper that we should worship our god our lord and our savior by his death on the cross god's son jesus is highly exalted and god is glorified let's return again to the great christological hymn in philippians chapter 2 verse 8 to 11 and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross is why I can confidently say that the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ is the most significant event in all of history and it was all because of God's love for sinners. The cross changes everything.